Well, hey, good morning. And as you can tell from the previous video, although my name is Jonathan, um, and I share the same name as Pastor Johnny, I am not the pastor, but I will be bringing the word of God uh, to you this morning, which I'm excited about. Um, so I just want to welcome you this morning. Um, if you're at home and you can do this, I just want to encourage you to grab a Bible. If you have a Bible, uh, if you know where one is in your house, run real quick and grab it. Uh, take advantage of being at home. If you want to grab the coffee, have it sitting there. If you're younger, maybe a Red Bull. Uh, if you're one of the health nuts, feel free, if you want, to grab some kale out of the refrigerator. Go grab some bird seed out of the bird feeder. Go ahead and get your macadamia nut milk. Go ahead and blend her all up in a glass full of hate. Nobody's going to judge you, especially me. Do what you got to do. Take advantage of the moment. But if you could get your Bible and uh, go with me to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, let me just give you a little road map of how uh, this is going to go this morning. I, what I want to do for you is I want to introduce a principle uh, that the Bible teaches that we can apply to our life. And then I want to show you a story about Jesus and his disciples and how it is actually lived out. Because sometimes when we're in the midst of uh, a situation in life, sometimes it's hard to see what God is teaching us. Um, so before we get started, I'm just going to go ahead and say a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord. We thank you with you in our lives. Every day is a new day and there is hope for us. And so, Lord, as we gather all across the counties and the states and the, maybe even the globe, Lord, I pray that you would visit every home, Father, that you would minister in a way that only you can do, Father. And I pray that lives would be transformed. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, uh, I want to talk to you about life-altering events. Okay, every one of us, when we go through life, we have these experiences that we go through that have the potential to change us for the rest of our lives. A lot of these experiences are good. You know, we graduate high school, we move on to college, we get a degree, we get a job, we get married. All of these are life changes for us. Then you have kids, and man, does your life really change. So there's a lot of things we experience for the good that brings change, but there's also things that maybe aren't so good that bring change. Maybe we experience the death of a loved one. Maybe we get laid off. Maybe we ourselves get sick. Things happen to us, and we're never the same. You know, I think of my grandmother. She was born in 1923, so she lived through the Great Depression. Although she was just a girl, she was old enough to be impressed by that event. In fact, many, many years later, as I came into the picture, I noticed things that she did in her day-to-day -day life that was rooted back in that event that she experienced. My grandmother was so thrifty, nothing ever got thrown away. There was no need to go buy anything new. Everything old could be fixed. You don't need a new car when you can buy an old car. I'd rip a hole in my pants, and instead of pitching them, throwing them in the garbage, Grandma would whip out the old sewing machine, and there she'd be sewing a patch on my pants. Like, Graham, can I get a new pair of pants out of the deal? But not Grandma. Because of her experience in the Great Depression, when there was such lack, it changed the way she lived the rest of her life. I believe we as a country and even the world are in one of those moments right now. 
that the, these months, these weeks we are experiencing are going to shape us for the rest of our lives. Maybe some of it negative. Maybe some of it positive. Maybe there are things we're not going to take for granted as we move forward. But with God in our life, our life-altering event can be a good thing. And I'm going to show you how. Now, we got to debunk a myth real quick that I've said, that maybe you've said. We have this saying in our Christian circles. God will never give me more than I can handle. Well, I hate to break it to you. Sometimes God does give us more than we can handle. Not because he wants to see us go through pain or see us hurt. Because he wants us to rely on him. You know, here in especially America, we're self-reliant, man. We're self-made. We're self-paid. We love the entrepreneurial and spirit. That's all a good thing. But if it leads to self-reliance, it can hold us back in our relationship with God. And what I want to show you this morning is that some of the worst experiences in life can be some of the most enriching spiritually, where we see God move in a mighty way. I believe we're primed for a move of God in our nation and in our lives. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to read a few verses here, verse 8 through 10. And this is Paul talking here. And I want you to listen to what he says. He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers. So he makes a point that you know this. Okay, this is Paul, the man, the myth, the legend, the cerebral genius, the guy that could debate anybody, the guy that just had a wealth of spiritual knowledge, world changer, right in that, a lot of our, the letters we read in the New Testament. He was the author. This is Superman Paul. Listen to what he says. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. He said, we hit a little rough spot in our journey, in our mission. Again, we're talking Paul. This is how he begins to describe his little rough patch, okay? We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. He says the burden was so great that it was beyond our own strength. And that's the title of our, my message this morning, Beyond Our Own Strength. Translation, there's nothing more he could have done. He, he had exhausted all his resources. He was out of options. He was out of hope. He was out of luck. Whatever you want to say, there were no other options on the table for Paul at this point. The mere fact, he says, that they despaired of life itself. So it wasn't that he wanted to die, but he just didn't want to live anymore. Sounds familiar. I've heard that come from people's mouths recently. Christians. I said, man, it's just tough, man. I just don't like the fear. I just don't like the anxiety. Man, I don't want to live this way. I, I can't live this way. There is a burden that where you're just like, man, I don't even want to deal with this. I can't deal with this. It's beyond my strength. I don't even know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to act. I don't know what to say. This is Paul saying this. Not John, Paul. He said, I was burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So tell us, Paul, how bad was it? He said, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. 
Paul took survey of the situation that he was going through, he concluded, this is it. When you are out of options in this life, there's only one other thing to do, and that's die. And Paul had concluded, this is where I'm at in my journey. It's a death sentence. And I know now we have death row where you're on it for like 30 years. It didn't work that way in antiquity. When you got the death sentence, it was usually carried out pretty quickly. So he was saying, it is over. Nothing else to do but God. Now watch this. The, the passage pivot here. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But here's the reason. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Our hero Paul had a reliance problem. He had a trust problem. Like we all do. That's autopilot. We always want to rely on our skill set, our ability to plan, our ability to see things. Not bad per se, but if that's where your reliance is coming from, we still have the things, some things to learn in our relationship with God. So Paul says this catastrophic event where I was out of options and I just figured we were going to die, all this happened so that we would not rely on ourselves, but we would rely on God. And not just God, the God who raises the dead. Note that little caveat, who raises the dead. Listen, if you can raise the dead, you got some juice behind you, right? When the dead come to life, that's a pretty impressive feat. But what has to happen for the dead to be raised, for the resurrection to happen? There has to be death. See, some of us have never seen resurrection because we've never seen death. We've never been put in a position where we've been forced to rely on God, where he had to come in and save the day. If you are a follower of God, you've experienced this to a point where you are dead in your trans trespasses. You are dead on the inside, and God came and filled your life, and you became alive, a new person, a new creation. You begin to see things different. You begin to think differently. You begin to act differently. You experienced that resurrection life on the inside, but maybe you didn't necessarily experience it on the outside. Libby was talking about Lazarus before we started. Lazarus had to die so Jesus could show them a resurrection. Think about that. She explained the story. They sent word to Jesus. His own friend said, hey, Jesus, can you bail us out here? And he delayed in his coming. And when he got there, the funeral was already in procession. Three, he had been laying in there. He was rotting. He was in the grave clothes. Game over. But God said, oh, uh-uh. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Called him out. Now, can you, can you imagine the reaction of that? Like, you're at a funeral, and then Jesus shows up and says, not done with you yet. Let's go. And you see him walking out of the tomb? What does that do for the average person? blows your mind. And I would imagine as Lazarus walked the streets, people would whisper, that's the guy Jesus rose from the dead. You see him? I was at his funeral. I witnessed it. Can you imagine the testimony that came forth? Because God blew their mind. If you are experiencing a dead moment in this season where you feel like, I don't know what to do, listen, you are prime for God to move in your life. 
And let me tell you, he is going to blow your mind. And Paul finishes it off here and says, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Look at that. He says deliver three times. He said he delivered us in the past, and he will deliver us. And just in case you forgot, in the three seconds it took to read that passage, he will deliver us again. He is going to do it. It's in these moments where it forces us to focus on God and we see him move in a real way. Every storm, every experience in this life is a chance for us to go deeper with God. Like I already said, Lazarus had to die for the resurrection to happen. And I want you to keep this in the back of your mind as we watch this be be walked out in the next story in Mark chapter four, if you wanna head over there. Mark chapter four. Just because God is silent does not mean he's still. Let's say that again. Just because God is silent does not mean he is still, does not mean he is not working. If you feel like your back's up against the wall, pay attention because God is about to move. You know, Job said at the end of his journey, if you read the story of Job, he basically lost everything and then God restored it. You know what Job's words were in chapter 42, the very last chapter of Job? He said, I have heard of you with my ears, but now I see you. I heard the stories, but now I saw you move in my life. My question to you this morning is you may have heard the stories, but have you seen him? Have you seen him in your life? Have you seen him in the past few weeks? Where are you putting your trust in this moment? You know what Psalm chapter 20 verse 7 says? Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of God. Now look a little bit closer. Some trust, notice the wording there, in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of God. Listen. In a battle scene in antiquity, chariots and horses was an extremely strategic advantage in warfare. It wasn't a bad thing for your army to have chariots and horses. Where it becomes bad is when you put your trust in them. God gives us resources to use, but we don't put our trust in those things. We put our trust in God, not the resources. Listen, I'm all for resources. Can I get an amen to that? I'm not against blessing, trust me. I'm not. But if you're trusting in that, if you're trusting in your ability to create wealth, your charisma, your skill set, what God's gifted you, which isn't bad. Your financial plan, which how's that going for you, you know? Nobody saw this one coming. Nobody. But God is doing a work. You know, I was... Uh, Back when this all started in March, coincidentally, I happened to be working on the eastern side of the state as this is all unfolding in New York City. In fact, I was working in New York Harbor, uh, driving through Newark and all those areas, stopping at all the rest stops as this whole pandemic was unfolding. And as, as you can imagine, it's a, it's a long drive on the turnpike, a boring drive. I had a lot of talk radio shows on, the news. I was trying to gather what exactly was going on. And I can remember vividly driving out east, just driving and listening to the reports. And I felt 
fear creep into my heart. I said, this, this is not going to happen right now. There was a lot of uncertainty. There was good reasoning for the fear. But I said, this is not going down like this. I said out loud in my vehicle, God, I'm going to choose to trust you in this season. I don't know what's coming down the line. I have a feeling that it's not going to be pretty all the way but round, but I am going to choose to trust you. Now, I work in the gas and oil field. If you've paid attention, it's a very market-driven industry. Um, we took a tanking. A lot of our industry is reeling, trying to figure out how we're going to survive this. So this is on my mind, okay? How am I going to provide, Lord? Okay, I do have savings, but, you know, I kind of wanted to save that. Like, what am I going to do here? So I'm thinking through these processes, and I felt the Lord speak to me. Do you trust me? Like, I don't have a choice at this point. I trust you, God. So I kept driving, and I got a phone call. It happened to be from an organization that I had supported in the, in the past, and they were asking me for money. I'm like, God, not now. You know, they always throw you the, like, the pitch, and I always say, you don't, you don't got to give me the pitch. You know, like, just tell me what you need. If I can help, I'll help. If I can't, you know, they're always like, you know, you give one dollar, it'll multiply by thousands of dollars, and, you know, it'll, whatever. It's all good, but whatever. And I remember thinking, ah, oh, this is just not the time for this. I'm like, God, and I felt that still small voice say, do you trust me? I said, God, I trust you. So I did, while I was driving, I read them my number, probably not supposed to do that, but I did, and I continued out east, listening to the negative reports, and I felt myself slipping down, 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 down. My emotions started getting worked up, and, and I'm literally driving, and I'm looking to my left, there's like 50 lanes of traffic, and I see the New York City skyline as they're talking about it, and I'm staring at it. I'm like, man, I, I don't know what's going to happen, God, but I trust you. And so the weeks went on, and it was a few days later, our president announced that, you know, everything was going to be shutting down, and, you know, I was just trying to process all that. And within a four days of the president shutting the, the nation down, I felt that fear come over again, come over me again. And I'm, Lord, I, I chose to trust you. You know, I had got a medical bill in the mail that I wasn't, inspe- I wasn't expecting it. Um, so I'm like, God, why now? It could have come anytime. Like, why did it have to come now? This is like, not that I couldn't pay it, but it was insult to injury. And I walked out to my mailbox. And I opened the mailbox, and there was an envelope in there with a check. That's all there was, was a check. And I opened it. And it was a check addressed to me, and all it said in the memo was, you trusted I obeyed. And that was confirmation to me that God was going to see me through this process and that I don't have to put my trust in a job, in an industry. I can put my trust in him and he will provide for me. And we're going to come back to that. So if you could, turn over to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We are going to read verses 35 through 41. Give you a second to get there. Mark chapter 4. And this is the story where Jesus calms the storm. Now remember the principle that I'm, I'm trying to convey this morning. We've got to put our trust in God. Okay? That sometimes God gives us more than we can handle in order that we rely on him. So here we go. Verse 35 
I'm going to read through it completely, and then we'll come back and flesh some things out. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, his disciples, that is, let us cross over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So he said to them, Jesus to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And then they were filled with great fear. And, he, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So the disciples had just finished a day of ministering with Jesus. And Jesus himself gave them this instruction. He said, Let us go across to the other side. So Jesus instructed them to get into the boat and go to the other side. Now, these guys weren't outside of the will of God, per se. They weren't doing what they weren't supposed to be doing. They were doing the right thing. They were being good disciples. A good disciple is obedient. They listen. They didn't ask questions. Hey, where are we going over there? Why are we going over there? They just got in the boat and went. I just want to take a quick time out here. That's a mark of a good disciple. Too often in life, we like to question everything God tells us. The problem is, when you don't have good visibility, you don't know what lies ahead, but God does. So if you try to move three steps ahead, you don't know what awaits, but God does. That's why we're obedient to what he tells us today. And I feel like in this season, as disciples of Christ, we've got to learn to play checkers and not chess. You know, people will make a comment, oh, he's playing chess and everybody else is playing checkers, meaning the guy that's playing chess is already like four or five moves ahead. Listen, when you're a disciple of Christ, you, pay, you play checkers. If he tells you to do something, you do it. And now we live in a world where everybody's preaching safety, safety, safety. Safety's a good thing. Let me tell you, the safest place you could ever be on planet Earth is in the center of God's will. That's the safest place you can be. Doing what he said to do and being where he said to be is always a safe bet. So the disciples thought nothing of it. They got into their boat. They're heading over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat just as he was. So Jesus got in the disciples' boats, but I want you to notice this other little piece. And there were other boats with him. And this sort of jumped out at me. I never really noticed that there was actually other boats that were with Jesus. And this point came to my head. You may be in the same storm as somebody else. It may be affecting all of us, but you're not necessarily in the same boat. See, a lot of people keep social distance, for lack of a better word, with Jesus. They're close to him, but he's not in the boat. Let me ask you this. The storm that is approaching, who do you want in your boat? 
Do you just want to be with Jesus, or do you want him to be in your boat telling you what to do? I don't know what happened to the other boats. They might not have even set sail. They might have were ahead and got to the other side. They might have sunk in a storm. I don't know what happened to them. All I know, there was only one boat with Jesus in it. My question to you, is Jesus in your boat? Are you just one of those followers that like to play church? We go to church, but we don't act as the church. This is the time Jesus needs to be in your boat because there will be things you experience in life that you're gonna need him because you're gonna be backed up against the wall and you're gonna be forced to rely on him. So who is in your boat? Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So there was a great windstorm. Now, if, if you study a little bit about the Sea of Galilee, where they were, uh, it sits below sea level and it's got mountains surrounding it. So you've got like high and pro, low pressure systems. I'm not a meteorologist. All I know is, is it's a recipe for quick storms to arise and severe storms to arise. It's been measured that there's been waves on the lake. It's not like an ocean. It's a lake up to 10 feet high. Now, they're not cruising these nice boats we have today. They're old. They're rickety. So the, the risk would have been higher, okay? So in other words, this was no small squall because these were fishermen who were experienced. And we're going to see how they react to this storm. So the, so the waves were breaking into the boat. They were taking on water. Now, if you're out on a body of water and you start getting water into the boat, I'm not a genius, but I'm going to say things aren't going to go pretty good for you, okay, when water starts to get in the boat, all right? So they go to find Jesus. So where, where is Jesus? And Mark not only tells us where he is in the boat, but also tells us what he's doing and how he's doing it, okay? So Jesus is basically tucked up under the stern, pretty much the only compartment in the whole boat where you couldn't get wet. He's sleeping on a cushion. Now, what we can conclude from this, these details is simply that Jesus was taking the nap on purpose. Listen, in the Mayak household, we have different ways of sleeping. We have resting our eyes, and we have sleeping. So we'll sit there on the couch, maybe kick back our head, and our eyes will be shut, and our kids will run up to us, mommy, mommy, and we'll, daddy, daddy, and we'll say, I'm just resting my eyes. And that could be true. But listen, if my wife opens the bedroom door, and I'm tucked in with covers over me and a pillow, and she says, John, what are you doing? And I say, I'm resting my eyes. She's going to go, no, you're not. You're going to sleep. This was an intentional nap. Jesus did this on purpose. So you can imagine as this storm is raging, the disciples wake him up and say, Jesus, don't you care about us? If Jesus was at least awake it would give the appearance that he cared. He could help bail water out. He could help navigate. But they wake him up and say, don't you even care? And now I, I want to point to a second for a few storms that are going on in here. Going on here. We have a storm raging on the outside. 
that's causing a storm on the inside, which is essentially creating a theological storm because now they're questioning whether Jesus even cares about them. You see it? They're looking at their situation, and it's creating a mess in here. The emotions are raging. They're panicked. They don't know if they're going to live or die, kind of like Paul felt. Their emotions were raised. You ever feel like that? You ever encounter a storm outside, and it's just wreaking havoc in here? Man, you can't concentrate on anything. All you obsess about, you can't sleep, you can't eat. And in turn, it brings us to question God. God, where are you? You're silent. You are taking a nap on purpose. God, don't you care about me? God, I'm dying here. I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of those prayers in my life. I just come to God, say, Lord, I'm praying. And I'm not hearing anything. God, I keep thinking things are going to get better, and they're just getting worse. God, you say you love me, but I can't feel you. You say you're moving. I can't see you, God. I've been there. Have you? Well, let me show you how Jesus is going to begin to take the disciples deeper in their relationship with him. So they had a right for their emotions to be worked up. Now, I've had a few death-defying experiences in my life, and when I panic, hit the panic button, and two of them involved water. So wa drowning is a bad way to go, okay? So I can understand the panic. So verse 39, and he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now notice, when Jesus wakes up, he doesn't say, hey boys, what's going on? Give me the, give me the update on the boat, how are we looking here, how much water we got, well, how far are we in our journey, can we make it to either side, we got to turn back. Jesus wakes up in the stern, turns to the sea, and says, be still, peace, as if it was a person. Jesus is addressing a body of water here and not the disciples. But watch what he does. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now, can you imagine just for a second the awkwardness of this moment? All right, you have raging sea. You have the disciples freaking out. They're probably fighting with each other. I told you we should have taken the other boat. Why didn't we go around? Why didn't we walk? Why didn't we take a donkey? I'm sure they were fighting it and all of a sudden it just stops. And it's not like the ocean where you can hear the roar. It's like dead silence. I've been on the Sea of Galilee. It's like, boom. The Bible says it was a great calm. So you can imagine the disciples going from full panic mode to like, what just happened? And I'm sure there was some moments of silence as they tried to process, wait to see what Jesus was going to say. Somebody was probably nudging Peter. Hey, say something. You always have something to say. You know, break the silence here. And listen to what Jesus says to them. I find this so interesting. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus, 
If there was ever an instance where it would be okay to be afraid, it would be on a raging windstorm when your boat's being swamped and you think you're going to die. Almost seems like that's an unfair question to ask the disciples. Why are you afraid? As if they should have had no fear. And then he goes on to say, have you no faith? Zero. He says, not only were you scared, but you had no faith, implying what? That they should have had faith. What? That doesn't make any sense, God. I'm going through it here. See, I'm struggling here. Faith and fear cannot occupy the same space at the same time. And any faith that they had was eclipsed by this fear. So we have to ask ourselves this question. Jesus wasn't asking these questions because he expected an answer. He was asking these questions so the disciples would realize something. So let's ask, why shouldn't they have feared? Why should they have faith? The first thing I would point back to verse 35. Jesus told them, that we would cross over to the other side. He already said the end result of the storm. He said, we're going to make it to the other side. So we're going to cross over. He didn't say we're just going to take a journey. He said, we're going to cross over to the other side. And I'm sure in the moment the disciples were for it, oh, what next? I mean, you have to be a fool not to think that the disciples had swagger when they were with Jesus. I mean, come on. These guys were bottom of the barrel on the social totem pole, okay, or totem pole. All right, these are the guys that don't get any likes on Facebook. Nobody really invites them to parties. Okay, these are down here. So now they meet this guy, Jesus, who's now the talk of the town. He's healing people. So you know they were walking with the swagger. Kids, stay away from Jesus. He can't be bothered by this. Come, come. I, I picture it like the secret service with the president, where they're just kind of pushing everybody back, and he's just kind of walking. That's how I picture it going down, okay? So you know these disciples had to have some kind of swagger. Yeah, he's with us. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, he did raise last. It was pretty cool. I saw it, man. I was there. Yeah, I got pictures, Instagram. Okay? So that's the, I'm sure that kind of swagger was like, yeah, Jesus, go to the boat. I wonder what's over there. What's waiting on that side? Now, when they get into the boat and they hit a storm, all of a sudden, they forget what God had told them. Isn't that just like us? When we're in the middle of the storm, we forget what God said. We have short-term memory loss. You know, after I received that check in the mail, you'd think that would be a big faith booster, but it wasn't a month later. I was sitting in the same position. My trust had gone. Even after I had that moment where God supernaturally provided for me, I had forgotten already in a month what God had did for me, he had done for me. Here's what you have to do in a storm. Don't trust what you see. Trust what he said. Go back. And this is why a walk with God is so important. See, I don't see our Christian faith as like these few mountaintop experiences. I see as a thousand little experiences on the way where God comes through for us and we say, you know what? Just like Paul said, he delivered us then, he will deliver, and in case I forget it, I'm gonna say it again, he'll deliver us again. Those moments encourage our faith when the storm hits. Nobody said, hey, remember when he told us that we were gonna make it? We're gonna make it, guys. Let's Hang on. You know what the apostle Paul said in Acts 27 when he encountered a storm and his crew panicked? 
He slapped them around a little bit and said, listen, you should have listened to me. We never should have set sail. But now that we have, don't worry about it. He said, we're going to lose the boat, but nobody's going to lose their life. You know why? Because God visited me. An angel of the Lord spoke to me and said, I must appear before Caesar. So you can look at the storm. All I'm telling you is we're going to make it. See the difference? Instead of the, door, the storm dictating the outcome, Paul had went to the, to the word of God to say, no, 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 we're going to make it. So you must, don't trust what you see, trust what he said. Because if you don't, your circumstances will overcome the word of God. Let the word rebuke your circumstances. So the second reason why they shouldn't have been afraid and they had faith. They had seen the miracles that Jesus had done with their own eyes, like I alluded to. But again, it's easy to forget what he did yesterday when you're in the storm today. We forget. And the third thing, why they should have had faith and not been afraid. The posture of Jesus should have indicated something. He's not worried about it. I shouldn't be worried about it. I mean, the guy was sleeping. That, does, that, that, that says, I don't care, that I'm not worried. Yeah, I mean, can you say it any better? I mean, think about it. When you're worried about something, you can't sleep. You can lay in your bed completely exhausted and you can't fall asleep because you're worried. Sounds familiar, right? What did Jesus teach? Don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough problems. Worry about today. Don't worry about it. He tells us not to worry. Here's what I try to apply to my life. Don't worry about tomorrow, but pray about tomorrow. I'm not saying there's not things that we need to look towards and pray. We're just not supposed to worry about it. Cross that bridge when we get there. It's important when you're in the middle, the eye of the storm, to look to the Savior. Look at his posture. I'm sure the disciples were trying to control the boat instead of looking to the one that can control the storm. I'm sure they were doing their best with their oars, trying to stabilize things. But they needed to look to the one who can control the storm. Listen, if we can start to look to heaven for earthly problems, we will see our relationship with God grow. We've got to learn to look at the Savior. And you know what he was doing? Taking a nap. Maybe you should too. He was sleeping during a storm. Think of a quote I've heard from Corey Tenboon. When you look outside, you will be distressed. When you look inside, you will be depressed. But when you look to Jesus, you'll be at rest. And isn't that so true in this story? So we move on. A few reasons why they should have had faith. Now watch, watch the story pivot again. Verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And we're going to bring it in to a close here. But notice, a few verses prior, their fear was in the storm. Now it says that there was a great fear 
but it was directed towards Jesus. Notice that shift. So instead of letting our circumstances dictate our response, maybe we should look to Jesus and let him dictate the circumstance. Maybe we're fearing the wrong thing. Maybe the message here Jesus had for his disciples to take them deeper was that they shouldn't fear storms. Fear me, because I'm in control. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Do you honestly think that after this transpired in the life of the disciples, they were ever the same? Or would you think they would be like Job? I've heard the stories, I've watched them, but now it happened in my own life when I was against the wall. And I saw him move in such a powerful way. I see this one of those moments in life, these milestones that propel us forward to complete the mission that God has for us. So you know why Jesus got in the boat in the first place? To go across the lake? If you read on in chapter five, which I would encourage you to do that, there was a demoniac in Gentile land who had been oppressed by thousands of demons. Jesus went over and delivered one man. Cast the demons into the pigs. They jumped into the sea. He said it was a great apocalypse. Ha ha. So they jumped into the sea. And you know what the people told Jesus? Leave this place. We can't handle this. You know what verse 18 says? That Jesus got in the boat and left. So the very question the disciples asked Jesus, don't you care that we're dying? Jesus actually got into the boat, sailed across the sea, endured a a life-threatening storm to deliver one man, and he left. Do you not think Jesus doesn't care? He cares. The scripture tells us, cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Listen, your emergency right now is an opportunity for God to move in your life. You may think there is nothing good that's going to come out of this situation, and God's going to go, yep, let's watch, watch me work. And I'm not trying to downplay the pain, the hurt, the broken marriage, the lost son. Or, I'm, not, I'm not diminishing the storm. All I'm saying is there's one greater than the storm. Don't fear those things. Fear the one that can control it. And I'll tell you what, God will take you deeper. You will never, ever be the same. Your emergency is God's opportunity to move. So when you are in that storm, remember what he said. Remember what he did. And look to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. I'm going to say a prayer for all of you out there. 
if you've never accepted Jesus into your life, I don't know who's watching this live stream, if Jesus isn't in your boat. Maybe you've never heard of this Jesus. Maybe you're one of those boats that was just hanging out, listening. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. It is a game changer. He is literally one prayer away. One prayer away. Say, God, I need you right now. He doesn't care that it's in the midst of a storm. That doesn't bother him. That's the beauty of our faith. We don't got to get ourselves all nice and pretty and get ourselves together and come to God. God says, no, come as you are. I will change you. I will give you a new heart, a new mind. You'll be a new creation. Invite God into your life. Let him transform you because he will bring you peace. He will bring you stillness. He will bring you calm. And there'll be moments where you'll be frustrated, you'll be anxious. But when you look to him, he'll tamper it down. And if you're out there today and you're just like, man, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. In fact, my prayer has been, God, I'm dying here. I don't know if I'm going to make it out of this one. I'm here to tell you that God's saying there's a way for you when you're back is up against the wall, when you are burdened beyond your strength, when you think you have a death sentence on your life, God says, let me show you resurrection power that'll break that over your life. Father, we just thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you are a God that never leaves us nor forsake us. We thank you that you're a God that rides this storm out with us. You're in that same storm right there. You are with us, and that is such a comforting feeling. Lord, I pray for all those who may not know you, Father, that you would reveal yourself to them in a greater way today, this moment, in their living room, in their bedroom, in their car. God, show them how real you are. And Father, for those that are hurting, that are in pain, that are at a loss, that don't know where to go, what is the next step to take? Father, I pray that you'd begin to move mountains. But Lord, more importantly, I pray that all of us would use these situations to grow in our relationship with you. Proximity is not good enough, Lord. We need intimacy with you. So Father, I pray these situations wouldn't push us away, but push us towards you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you have a great day, a great week, a great 2020. Even though it looks like it may be canceled, things will get better, okay?